Some of you have relationship issues, money issues, and some of you have felt downright distressed. This week, as I was before the Lord, I sat back there in my house, and then I was here in the office several days. Uh, the Lord began to open my heart and mind and show me where we are as a body, and many of us individually. In this area of Statesville, you are looking at the biggest grace preacher that there is. I have been accused of being a hyper-grace preacher, a God-is-only-good-all-the-time preacher, and I say I stand guilty as charged. Happily say, yes, I am. I'm happy to be known as the biggest grace preacher around. Um, amen. I think that's a good thing. I, amen. I, I, I wear it as a badge of honor. Um, but I do not believe that God's goodness and our struggles are mutually exclusive. Many people misunderstand when I talk about the grace of God that, that means we just kind of float through life and we don't ever have to go through anything. Anybody that thinks that is just, it just hadn't lived long enough. <laughs> you just need some experience. You need some life because you'll learn. I've even thought over the last few weeks, Barbie, uh, man, watching my kids grow, watching Jake um, play basketball, watching Isaac play soccer, and my God, going to the beach and all that. I've, I've watched like, man, they have no idea they're having the best time and the easiest time of their life right now. Jake mows grass and he'll make some money and he can do whatever he wants with it because he doesn't have any responsibility. I thought, man, he doesn't understand just how. But what happens is, as you know, over time, you begin to grow some, your family grows, you have kids or you have responsibility and you're like, whoa, this wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. You know, life sometimes presents innately struggles. And for some, it seems like there are more than others. But just because we go through struggles does not, it does not mean that God's grace is not available for us. In fact, I would say that God's grace empowers us through the struggle so that we can receive from him what we need to receive and come out on the other side more mature. Because listen to this. The Bible says that a son, although he be the heir of all things, is not different at all than a slave until the moment that he matures. I want you to think about this. This was not written in 2019 where we, don't, where we have a vague understanding of kings and of hierarchy and of kingdoms and of slaves. But I'm talking about this was a time when kings ruled and their families ruled and, their, and what, was, what, what, what was a kingdom would expand generation to generation and you would receive a kingdom just by virtue of the fact that you're born into the family who is the king's family. And Paul would say that a, king, that a prince... A prince, one that is destined as you are to inherit all things as you are. I believe that I'm talking to princes and princesses this morning. I believe that I'm talking to sons and daughters of the king of kings. And you do have a heavenly inheritance. But Paul says that uh, an, a, although you be the heir of all things, you differ nothing whatsoever than a slave until the moment of your maturation. It almost seems like contrast to what we think of as grace, what they call greasy grace. Because what they say greasy grace is, is, is just, well, you just float through life. You, you screw up all the time and don't worry about it because God's got it. You just be whatever. No, that has nothing whatsoever to do with grace. Actually, mercy takes care of, what you, of your past and grace empowers you and to propels you into, into your now, into your identity, your future. But I know for me personally... Uh, the last two years, I have had an unprecedented attack against myself physically, against myself emotionally, against my, against my family, uh, against, against me relationally. And I look around and say, what in the world, or might say a different, a different word if I wasn't in church, is going on? I actually even had, I'll just, can I be vulnerable with you? I probably shouldn't do this, but I feel like if I'm vulnerable with you, uh, for those of you that don't know me well, we'll say, well, he really is just like we are. Because I struggle. 
because I have issues and I have problems. I have things I have to deal with. I prayed last week. I said, Father, this, this, is, this has been unprecedented. I, I don't sleep. Uh, I've, I've always slept really well until the last about two years. And now if I don't take a, like a Tylenol PM or something, I can't sleep. Because what happens is my brain shuts off about 1.30 and then it, at 3 o'clock I'm back awake and I hear all the voices. Anybody else? Am I the only one? I hear all the voices and I can't, I can't shut them off sometimes to go back to sleep. I know who I am. I know who my father is. I know what I've seen. I've watched him do the supernatural. I've watched the miraculous come from, through the spirit of God through my own hands. And yet, I wake up at 3 o'clock just like you do and stare at the clock and think, my God, how am I going to make it? I prayed last week. Can I be completely vulnerable with you? I prayed last week and said, Lord, I need you to t show me what's going on. I have no idea. I'm trying to find something. There's something where, I, where I'm missing it or is there something? What is, what is this that's causing me to live in this crazy discouragement, this crazy place? Do you know the mo some of the most discouraged people that you will ever meet are ministers? It sounds funny, but why is that? Because they spend all their, all their time trying to encourage others. This is not, I'm, not, I'm not bashing you for that. I'm not saying you're not doing a good job, but preachers are some of the most discouraged people that I've ever met in my life, and they're broken, and they, and they do a good job of trying to hide that, and, and for some, sometimes that's good. Sometimes you just need to be an open book and say, you know what, I'm just as broken as you are. Father, what's going on? I went to sleep that night, in, in, and I had a dream, and in the dream... Uh, uh, a woman walked up. I thought, I, I don't know if it was a woman. I, 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 don't wanna, I, don't wanna, I just want to say the way that I can say it, and you bear with me if I don't say the right words. A feminine energy, if that makes sense. I don't know if this was a woman, but she was wearing gold, but, I, in, but her mouth spoke, and it, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. And he was handing me something he was writing, and it came out on receipt paper. And he said to me, there, have, there is a coven of witches that have been assigned to destroy your life. And I woke up. Yes, thank you. Now I get to go back to sleep knowing that there's... Really, that's this? That's what this is? Great, you know. Now, before you go off in, in la-la land, my father came out of witchcraft. I know that there is such a thing as that. I don't believe like some of these people who are just, um, who make excuses. I don't believe that everything that good happens to you is just in your mind and everything bad happens to you is just in your mind. I know that there are powers of darkness. I have watched and prayed for women who have been raped in Africa by spirits. You don't think it exists, that's okay. You just haven't seen it yet. I, I, know that the, I know that there are spiritual... I watched a man come down an aisle to kill me while I was preaching a Muslim man, a fetish high priest, and God dropped him on his face until I got done preaching. And there are four people that go to this church that witnessed it, and we cast the devil out of him. And the next day he said, I am the fetish high priest of this area. I came to destroy you and what you guys were doing. And yet there was something that drew me to you. And when I came... Um, you guys prayed over me, God changed my life, and I'm going to probably lose my life for my conversion, but I will lose my life knowing that Christ is in my heart. So I understand that that stuff exists, but here's what really happens. Here's what really I think has happened. Witchcraft speaks of rebellion and it speaks of manipulation. And did you know that one of the places you can find manipulation at the highest peak and true uh, principalities, you'll find a lot of that stuff in the church. I don't mean the true vine church. It better not be here because if I see it, I can promise you I've got a sword and I will cut that head off. But it does. It exists in church. And, and there are a lot of these, lot of these people. Oh, man, I'm trying to be careful. I don't know if I need to be careful. And when you begin to attack things that, that, that feed off of manipulation and feed off of control, you can, you can rest assured you're going to be attacked right back. 
And so when the spirit of discernment came on me and the Lord spoke to me, I said, that's what this is. This is not just, and there may be the other. There's a man, Rick Joyner, who stood in this church, probably on this platform, that platform, and said that he was made aware of a coven of witches that from uh, Winston-Salem to Asheville, uh, their assignment is to destroy any move of the Spirit of God that happens. Well, bad news, you can't destroy the move of the Spirit of God. I, I just hate to tell you, you can't, you can't, you know. But really what I believe is when, when you hear the message that says that you are free and that you are liberated and that you are sons and daughters, even when you don't know that you're sons or daughters, the religious hierarchy, the religious system does not like that. And so what they do is they begin to attack because when you're free, you cannot be manipulated. If nothing else happens in Truvine as long as I'm here, you're going to walk out and know I am a son of the Most High God, I am a daughter of the Most High God, and I will not be manipulated by the religious spirit. If, if, if I do that, then I'm successful as a pastor in this church. Then I've, shepherded your, then I've shepherded your hearts well, even though he's the good shepherd. I've done my job. If you walk out of here knowing, hey, I might not have it all together, and I might mess up here or there, and I'm not making excuses for you to do that, but if you think you're never going to mess up again, then it just shows your lack of maturity. But even through my mess-ups, even through, even through, I know that I'm a son of the king. I know that I'm a daughter of the king, and I will not be manipulated by a religious spirit that says I have to do something to get something. There's not a thing you can do to, to become a son or a daughter of God except just be. That's why you're called human beings and not human doings. So, yes, I'm the biggest grace preacher in the world. I believe in the grace of God. I also believe in the struggle. I believe in process. I don't like to preach it a lot because I find the more you preach process, the more you go through it. God, really? So I like to preach things like resurrection life. I like to preach things like good things. I like to preach that thing because I was told years and years ago as a young teenager boy, Joshua, whatever you want released in your church, write songs and release them. Whatever you want to see happen over your congregation, sing those songs or minister those messages over your congregation. So I preach things like freedom and, and identity and your sonship and, your, and, and, the, and let the other stuff kind of flesh itself out. We're called to greatness and I believe that between our calling and our castle awaits a cave, a crucible in which he will develop within us the necessary character to reign in life. <laughs> For every king between your calling and your, castable, and your castle, there's a cave awaiting. And if you refuse to go through the cave, you'll never get to the castle. And it doesn't mean that you're not called and it doesn't mean that you're not anointed. It just means you're never gonna receive the crown of glory. You're going to have a greasy head. Your head will be full of oil, but it will never attract the crown of glory until you're mature. That's what Mark, or uh, who was it? Uh, Christian spoke about earlier. David did receive not one, but three crowns at 30 years old. 30 in the scripture represents full maturity. That's why Jesus was baptized at 30. That's why Joseph came up out of the pit at 30. That's why David received three crowns at 30, because it's, a, it's typical, and it speaks of full maturity. That's why, I, that's why I prefaced everything that I said this morning by, if you're not mature, even though you're sons and daughters, you're nothing different than a slave. Well, how do we become mature? You wind up in a cave. So maybe instead of seeing our struggles merely as what's happening to me, we discern that it's not happening to me, but it's something that's happening in me. 
If there's a human being in this church, can I do this? Can I be free? If there's a human being in this church that could ask, why is this happening to me? She sits right there. Because every time it seems like she takes a step forward, they're healthy, Miss Laura. Then she takes two steps back. But maybe if we can discern, and I know you have, and I believe that's why you have a grace to still be here, that this is not something happening to me, but there's something being developed in me. And if I will allow the thing that's being developed in me to come to full maturation, then I will birth something that will free me from the mess I got myself into. I believe that much of where we are can be seen in the life of David. Whew. Better hurry. The worshiping king. The man after God's own heart. Anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the king chosen by God as a teenager. As a matter of fact, he was the only king chosen by God. God did not choose Saul. The people chose Saul. They clamored after a king, and God gave them what they wanted. But when he found himself a king, he said, I have found for myself a king, and he's a man after my own heart. He's anointed by the prophet Samuel, the chosen by God as a young teenager. You know the story of Samuel comes and looks at seven of his brothers and says, you've got to be kidding me. None of these are guys. And they were beautiful. They were big and they were strong and they fit the part and none of them were the one. Ultimately, Jesse says, I do have another boy, but he stays out in the sheep, in the pasture with the sheep. And Samuel said, bring him to me. When he got there, Samuel said, this is the one. And he takes that, that horn of oil that he had and poured that hot, holy oil like you saw this morning on top, or whoever it was uh, on, on David's head and David's anointed king. But guess what? David didn't go straight to the castle. Killing lions and bears with his bare hands and defeating and killing the greatest giant of the Philistines, uh, the chief enemies of God's people. You would think David would be celebrated, and for a time he was. But one thing that David learned quickly, and one thing that every member of this body better learn, when God shows you favor, the old religious order, the old religious hierarchy will be out for blood. That's good news. When God shines the light of his favor on your life, you had better write it down. Those that are in the religious system, the religious hierarchy, that use manipulation to control people and to control their wallet, they're out for blood, and they will come and do whatever it takes to silence the voices that speak against them. In fact, it's the very religious system that killed Jesus. So this mighty warrior who's a man anointed by God to be king is, run, is left running for his life as a fugitive. Not because he did something wrong, but because he lived with the favor of God on his life. How many people have ever found yourself in a situation, let's just say in a sickness, or in a broken relationship, and you can say, God, I honestly, I don't have a clue what I did to earn this or deserve this. What makes me so special that I get this attack? Maybe you didn't do something wrong. Maybe what's happening is the favor of God's on your life and the religious system around you, the principalities around you are coming to attack your life. And if you are subdued by those religious spirits, then you'll not be effective in your walk in the kingdom. But if you can discern this is not happening to me, but there's something happening inside of me that's going to create... As he's running for his life, he finds a place of refuge, the most unlikely of places, a cave called Adullam, which literally means place of refuge. Who would know and who would have thought that a cave, a place that a man who should be going to a palace would want to curse, why would I want to live in a cave when I'm called to the palace? That would be his place of refuge. Let's read. 
1 Samuel 22, and I'm going to try to hurry through this, but I'm not going to hurry too much. Is that okay? Somebody went into the fryer just right then. Did I say fryer? <laughs> Somebody into the fryer just then. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented, or one version says bitter of soul, gathered themselves together there to him. What? I just want you to do me a favor. I just want you to pan the crowd right now like I'm doing. And I'm going to read the words again. Everyone who's distressed, discouraged, in debt, discontented. Am I talking to anybody? If any one of those three things fits any area of your life, I just want to see your hand. Just let me be southern this morning. So I feel like I'm in the right place. Gathered together there unto David. And now there were about 400 men with him. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. Then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. The prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. Listen to the prophet telling you, don't stay in the stronghold, find yourself some praise. Judah means praise. So David departed and went to the forest of Herath. Then Saul heard that David and the men who were sitting with him had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting in Gibeah under the uh, tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all the servants were standing around him. And Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjaminites, will the son of Jesse also give, all of, uh, give you fields and vineyards? Will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me, so there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you who is sorry for me or disclose. God, he just makes me want to throw up. Sounds just like a lot of preachers I know. Nobody loves me anymore. Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else, by the way. Discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is to this day. Then Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. <laughs> I'm going to pause there and say, anytime you find a real priest... He will always put back in your hand the weapon that you used to gain your greatest victory. What he essentially said by giving David the sword of Goliath was, don't you remember who you are, boy? He was a priest. He said, do you not remember that Goliath of Gath stood on one side of a mountain and the armies of the Philistines behind him and Saul and the armies of Israel, the armies of God stood on the other and they were all shaking their boots and you, just a young boy who couldn't even wear Saul's armor said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to... Do you not remember that not only did you take a stone from your, from, your, from your pocket and hit him right in the head, but you ran up on him and took his own sword and cut his head off? Do you not remember who you are? Take the sword of victory. Anytime you find a, a real servant of God, a real priest of God, he will always put you in remembrance of the victory that you already didn't know that you had. Take this sword, David. This is the sword you cut his head off with. Do you not remember? Then the king sent someone 
to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Atub, and all of his father's household, the priests who were in Nob. And all of them came to the king, and Saul said, Listen now, son of Atub. And he said, And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me, and that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, so that he would rise up against me by laying an ambush as it is to this day? Then he answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law who is captain over your guard and is honored by He said, David is your son-in-law. He's the captain of your guard. He's honored in your own house. Did I just now begin to inquire of God for him? No, far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father, for your servants know nothing at all of this whole affair. But the king said, you shall surely die, Himelech, you and all your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were tending him, turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death because their hand is also with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn around and attack the priest. And Doeg the Enemite turned around and attacked the priest, and he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priest, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children, infants, oxen, donkeys, sheep. He struck all with the edge of the sword. True viners! How many times have you heard Christian get up or Marie get up or Mark get up or Sarah get up or whoever and say, we are not just a church, we are a worshiping body. Yeah. I want you to focus and pay attention when I'm talking to you for the next few minutes. Whether you, whether you stand up and throw your hands up, whether you go crazy like sometimes say like Ben or Jeremy do, or whether you sit there and, and, just, and just soak it all in, all of it's fine, you are a worshiping church, and you are a part of a worshiping body. And anytime the powers that be see that you're really sold out to worship and that you, you'll do nothing except defend Jesus, the son of David, the first one that will be attacked by the sword are the worshipers. God, why is it happening? Why is it that we, why is it that we feel like we get, just get, really start to grow and then boom? It's because you're worshipers. It's because you're a part of a worshiping congregation. And the religious institution does not like true worship because true worship cannot be boxed and contained. You can go to some places and it's all fine. And you'll be handed a program when you walk in the door. And they're going to say, literally, I've been to a church before where the pastor said to me, I'm going to say this. These will be the last three lines of my prayer. At that moment, I want you guys to come with music. You have three minutes and 37 seconds to finish that song, two minutes and 47 for the next. And then this other guy's going to come out. He's going to say these exact words. He's going to take 17 seconds to say, I've been to those. I don't go back. So I'm thinking, man, you, you've totally planned God completely out of your service. I mean, he, he couldn't move here if he wanted to. If you've been a part of those, God bless you. God love you. Josh, you're just taking shots. I'm not taking shots. What I'm saying is church was supposed to, Jesus even said, my house, my house, my house, it's his house. Shouldn't he be able to do what he wants to do in his house? Doesn't matter to me if the song goes for two minutes or 25 minutes. If the Lord is moving and he's being worshiped and he's being glorified, then let's just do that. And the religious institution does not like that. In fact, they'll make up lies about you because of that. They'll make up rumors about you because of that. They'll take their sword out and do their best to, to cut you because they don't like that. Anything that interferes with their dominance, with their power, they do not like that. 
And you might know it and you might not. Statesville is one of the most religious witchcraft towns that there's ever existed. Newsflash. That's why God has us here. <laughs> we, don't, we don't walk in fear, but we need to walk with knowledge of where we are and why we're assigned to this place. I, Randall Worley called me early on when I started pastoring. He said, do you know if you moved 60 miles from Statesville, you'd have a thousand member church inside of six months? I said, yeah, I do know that. He said, no, I don't know if you understand you would have. And I said, yeah, but God, this is where God's called me. He said, oh, I know that. I'm just letting you know. Bob Jones, who was a prophet of our times and spoke about this place, he's the one that said he saw the word glory still written above the building. Ironically, he lived on Tarleton Road a quarter of a mile from where my father had a church for 14 years, 12 years, however long it was, 12 years. He said, Statesville might be the darkest city I've ever had to preach in in my life. Now, to me, that's an honor that a prophet that lived and said and saw the things that he lived and said and did about Statesville to know that God called us and gave us the responsibility. Look, if you're going to go into the darkest city, I'm going to send my brightest angels there. That's, that's where I'm going to send the ones that won't walk back, that won't turn back. They're not going to quit. That when the going gets rough, or the going gets tough, the tough, they're not going to pick up and quit on me. They're going to stay, and they're going to dig in their boots and say, I'm not going anywhere. This is where God, look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. From the time that I was 17, I have been offered, probably like many of you, I know Mark has, I've been offered all kinds. When I was 18, 17 years old, I was offered $1,000 a week, which is a lot, of time, a lot of money back then, a new Mercedes every three years, and a new house to live in if I would move to Atlanta, Georgia, and be, well, ball ground, Georgia, and be a, a, a minister of music. I've been offered more churches than many of you know about, and a lot of those churches come with six-figure incomes. I don't make that here <laughs> yet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally messing with you. I'm totally messing. I'm not, if I was here for money, I can promise you I'd have been gone a long time ago. Long, long time ago. I walked away from $125,000 last year to be here to make sure we got this building. So I know what my assignment is, and that's not to pin a rose on me. That's just a, it's a 100% it's a fact. And the, as a matter of fact, leaving the job on the way when, I, when the Lord finally spoke to me, it took me two and a half months to finally listen. He said, don't see it as walking away from that. See it as a $100,000 a year offering you're giving me. I said, okay. That's the only thing that gave me peace. Because you got six kids and, and, a, and a wife that likes nice stuff. <laughs> you, don't, you don't walk away from 125 grand a year. You just don't do it. Unless the Lord says, if you don't do it, you're not going to have that place and you're not going to build the church and I can't do what I need to do with you through ministry. So I said, be it done to me according to your word. You're being attacked because you're a worshiping church. This is where the rubber meets the road. I have 12 pages of notes. There's not a chance I'm getting to all of them. But you're being attacked because you're a worshiping body. And yet the Lord has brought us to this place. It kind of is almost like a cave. You come down to the bottom of a hill and walk in. You only got six lights on the whole place. Some people are like, what is that all about? It's just ambiance. Don't sweat it. But if we turn all these lights on, it sounds like a gym. You know, it's just annoying to me. I'm going to. Saul murdering priests is a picture of the religious system that always seeks to destroy true worshipers and intercessors. David, like you, an anointed king, an anointed family, a worshiping king, relegated to a cave of hiding. Does that sound familiar? It does to me. I've often wondered why the Lord chose to keep us in hiding for so long. I'll speak for myself that I've been in the fight of my life for the last, for the last few years. I've fought things I never thought I would fight. I've had friends that have left me. 
I've had family walk away and dealt with what seems like utter chaos around me. Why am I in this cave? I've been invited to preach to tens of thousands. In fact, I was invited to preach to a million people in Pakistan. Multiple times. As a matter of fact, they're begging me still to come. They have since 2016. In the last six months, I've been invited to preach to 25 different countries. And here I am fighting for my life with about 150 people in Statesville in what seems like a cave. When David was in that place, he wrote the Psalm 142. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. They're all good. I just like the way it's worded here. David's here in this cave. You can imagine his thoughts. I'm the anointed king. God's shown me favor. The daughters of Jerusalem in downtown seeing Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I'm beloved by the people. I'm even beloved by Saul's son, Jonathan, who knows I'm the rightful heir and is willingly going to lay aside his right to take the throne because God anointed me for it. And here I am living in a cave, hiding for my life. And this is what he writes. If you read Psalm 142 from the Passion, it says, King David's poetic song of instruction, a contemplative prayer when he was confined in a cave. God, I'm crying out to you. I lift up my voice boldly to beg for your mercy. I spill out my heart to you and tell you all my troubles. For when I was desperate, overwhelmed, and about to give up, you were the only one there to help. You gave me a way of escape from the hidden traps of my enemies. I look to my left and my right to see if there's anyone who will help, but there's no one who takes notice of me. I have no hope of escape, and no one cares whether I live or die, so I cry to you, Lord, my only hiding place. You're all I have, my only hope in this life, my last chance for help. Are you hearing yourself in this prayer? Read yourself into the word. Please listen to my heart's cry, for I am low and in desperate need of you. Rescue me from all who persecute me, for I am no match for them. Bring me out of this dungeon so I can declare your praise, and all your godly lovers will celebrate all the wonderful things you've done for me. Also, Psalm 57 was written by David when he was in the cave. Listen to this instruction, you worshipers of True Vine, worshipers of God at True Vine. Psalm 57. To the pure and shining one, King David's golden song of instruction composed when he hid from Saul in a cave. Please, God, show me your mercy. And open your grace fountain to me, for you are my soul's true shelter. He saw that when he was in the cave of Adullam, in a place of refuge, that the cave was not his refuge, but it was the Lord himself that was his refuge. I will hide beneath the shadow of your embrace, under the wings of your cherubim, until this trouble, terrible trouble is past. The wings of the cherubim. David understood. He was a Jew. He was a king. He understood that speaking of the wings of the cherubim was speaking of the Ark of the Covenant where the glory of God would come and descend. And he would say, I, this is where I stand in the shadow of those wings. I will hide beneath the shadow of your embrace under the wings of your cherubim until this trouble is past. I will cry out to you, the God of the highest heaven, the mighty God who performs all these wonders for me. From heaven he will send a father's help to save me. He will trample down those who trample me. Pause in his presence. I started, to name this, sir, this, I started to name this message, Pause in His Presence. He will always show me love by His gracious and constant care. 
I'm surrounded by these fierce and brutal men. They are like lions just wanting to tear me to shreds. Why must I continue to live among these seething terrorists, breathing out their angry threats and insults against me? Lord God, be exalted as you soar throughout heavens. May your shining glory be seen in the skies. Let it be seen high above over all the earth, for they have set a trap for me. Frantic fear has, has me overwhelmed. But look, the very trap they set for me has sprung shut upon themselves instead of me. Pause in his presence. My heart, O oh God, is quiet and confident. Now I can sing with passion your wonderful praises. Here's some lyrics, praise team, or whoever wants to write some lyrics. Awake, O oh my soul, with the music of his splendor. Song, arise, my soul, with his praises. My worship will awaken the dawn, greeting the daybreak with my songs of praise. That's why praise and worship is an emphasis here. Wherever I go, I will thank you, my God. Among all the nations, they will hear my praise songs to you. Your love is so extravagant, it reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness, remember third day? Your love, oh Lord. Anybody remember that? Reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness, stretch, here it is, stretches to the sky. May your shining glory be shown in the skies. Let it be seen high above all the earth. Amen. Now listen to me. I'm gonna give you a few of my notes, and then we'll see what God does. Calling is given in a moment but character is developed over time in the cave. You receive your calling by virtue of the fact that God opens his mouth and calls you. But he calls you to a place that's gonna bring you into a cave so that you're you're, you can develop character so that you can handle the weight of the kingdom. For every king between the calling and the castle, a cave awaits in which you will either cave in or develop character to lead. Listen to me. It's okay to come to the cave discontented, but it is not okay to leave the cave that way. <laughs> it's okay to come to the cave discouraged. It's okay to come to this place uh, discontented. It's okay to come to this place distressed, but it is not okay to come to this place the same way. You can't leave the same way. Did you know that the men that came down with David, that he surrounded himself with, maybe we'll talk about David a little more next week. I just relate so much to his life. When they left the cave, when they came to the cave, you know, they were, they were just men. Some of, them, some of them had been a part of David's army, but they were just men. They were discouraged. They were known. They were, they were labeled discouraged, depressed, just a bunch of vagabonds. When they left David's cave, did you know those are the very men that were the captains of his army that took post up in the kingdom and that would establish the kingdom of Israel as God's nation in the earth? Those very men. So maybe it's not, Lord, what is this happening to me? But okay, what is this supposed to be showing me? And what is, this, what is happening in me? What is this developing within me so that I can, look, you've got a great calling on your life. All of you do. Every one of you. We do corporately. And you do individually. If you didn't have, listen, I'm just going to say this, and I have no, I won't pause this. The fact that you're in this building means you have an incredible calling on your life. Everybody can't come here. Everybody's welcome, don't misunderstand me, but everybody cannot stand into this. Everybody's not ready to hear this. Everybody, everybody's, everybody can't just come here and become a part. I wish, I wish everybody could. It'd be a lot easier. If we were seeker friendly, my God, you know, it'd be great. Except we would accomplish nothing, except have a good program. And we're good at, pro we can do the program thing. But the fact that you're here, is, you were called here, you were just, and the fact that some, some of your family members have been pulled away from here, don't give up on them. They're coming back. 
I'm not, I'm not talking about, I don't have anybody in my mind. So if you think, well, God, I can't believe you called me out. Like, I'm not. I'm not calling you out. I'm telling you, I know there are people that should be here, that are family members that should be here. They're, not, they're coming. It's okay. Maybe they're not ready yet, but they will be. You get what God needs for you to get while you're here. He'll bring them when he's ready. Something I've learned about Father, I had a man tell me years ago, I was asking, I was just a young man, I was trying to, I was trying to figure out how, how does this whole free will and sovereign will thing work all at the same time? You know, If God's will is sovereign, how can I have free will? And if, if I have free will, how can God's will be sovereign? Anybody ever ask questions like that? Just me? And he said, well, just look at it this way. He said, let's just imagine God's got a big old fence. And you live in that fence, and inside that fence, you can do whatever you want to. He said, but believe me, this is Prophet Sidney Smith. He said, if you ever go too close to that fence and climb up on it, Papa's got a way of making sure to pull you down off of it. <laughs> My point in telling you that is when Father's ready, when he calls, there's no one that can deny his voice. You want to know why, you, why you've been so attacked in your health? You want to know, it's, not, it's, never, it's almost never because of something you did. Now, I'm, I do believe in the law of sowing and reaping, you know, if... if I, I kind of hope nobody here does it. If you go every single day and have a full bucket of KFC chicken and six cheesecakes and, and, you, and you chase it with Miller Lite or whatever, in three or four years you have health problems, that's not something God's trying to develop in you. That's called stupid. <laughs> you know? And I like KFC as much as the next guy. As a matter of fact, Colonel Sanders is one of my best buddies. I like him. I like cheesecake. I don't necessarily like beer. I don't, I've never, I don't like the taste of it, but, you know, whatever. Just give me some sweet tea, man. This is the South. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I do believe in that, but I also believe that a lot of the stuff that's happening in your life, and I've seen a lot of you individually, a lot of the attack that's come is because you are a prophetic worshiping body. And you might not even know how to spell that or what that means, but that's what you are. And the powers that be in this place, they do not like when their authority that has been here for decades is challenged. I'm telling you right now, when I walked up to Hecate, that ugly three-headed witch that shouldn't be in the Civic Center, but it is because the, the witchcraft that used to be covert in Statesville is now so overt, they put that ugly three-headed ugly goddess in Statesville's Civic Center, that fresco. And I pointed to her and said, because by the direction of the Lord, and said, God curse you, and the power of darkness will not rule over Statesville anymore from that day Marcus wanted to help me really see it. Boy, it's been on. It's been a fight. But you know what? I'm not a quitter. I'm not a quitter. And this is, give me that girl. This is one reason that I'm not a quitter. And it's also a reason you better not be a quitter. You're going to help me preach? When I come tonight and look at the kids, teenagers in Aftershock, or when I watch them here in three weeks when we're up at Word of Deliverance, and they're completely lost themselves in worship, I think, really? I, will, I reckon that the struggles of this present time are not, compare, are not worthy, worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. You watch this little baby from the time she's, what, what is she, six months old? Eight months old from the time she's seven months old, grow up and know her identity from the time she's seven months, then I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in her, that will be revealed in us, that will be revealed in you. So, yeah, you might be in a cave. That's all right. We're all in a cave together. 
you know. You know what happened when they're in a cave? You know what David started doing? He started telling his buddies, he started telling these guys stories of uh, when he defeated Goliath. Did you know there was one man that was so inspired by David's stories that he ran out and went after a lion and chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day? He's like, well, heck, if King David can do it and kill a, kill a giant... I mean, he was raising up giant killers. Didn't know it because ultimately those people that were in the cave with David, the spirit of David came upon all of them until they were all more than conquerors. They were all overcomers. They would become mighty men of valor. They would become valiant men and captains of David's army. I'm looking at some captains in the army of the Lord right now. I'm looking at some prophets and some priests and some kings that will go across the nations of the earth and that will declare the freedom and the liberty of the kingdom over countries that have been bound for sin. I'm not saying it hopefully I'm telling you prophetically I'm looking at a people that's voice will be heard across the globe it will be heard around the world that there's a place in Statesville where the glory of God is such there that if we can it'll be like the it'll be like the pool it'll be like the, the, the pool of Bethesda when the waters were stirred if I can just get if I can just get to Statesville the glory of God is so heavily there just walking through coming through that but it's going to take some people that will submit to this place of the cave that'll submit to the cave of Adullam and say this ain't happening to me this is happening for me and if I allow it to happen for me then he'll move through me Sometimes I just throw babies. <laughs> she, she was like, get me away from this guy. He's loud. Not what's happening to me. Stand with me. William, give me something on the keys. Not what's happening to me, what's happening for me, what's happening through me, and what's happening in me. Because between your calling and your castle awaits a cave. God, you mean you're the author of this too? Isn't he, is he not the author of everything? He's not only the author of your faith, he's the finisher of it. It's his faithfulness that's going to complete the work that he started in you. He's not looking for you to complete the work, he's asking you to surrender to the work that he's doing. And surrender a lot of times, you imagine a clay being molded and shaped. That probably wouldn't feel good. If clay had feelings, it might look up at the potter and say, man, that hurts. Could you stop? Just give me a break for a week. I mean, honestly, I feel like I could take a month sabbatical and sleep for two and a half of the weeks. Could you just give me a break? But how does the clay say to the potter, why have you made me thus and such? So all the potter's waiting for you is just to submit. Let him mold you and shape you. Make you what he wants you to be. Because if you'll do that, I can promise you, what he pours in will stay just as pure when it's poured back out. Father, I thank you for this cave place, the cave of Adullam, the place of refuge. I pray, Father, that today's short time, Lord, while I spoke, if nothing else would maybe change our perspective, that these things that are happening are not happening to us, but are happening for us. And it's not about what's happening to me, but what you're doing through me. And if that we will surrender and submit, even though the shaping at times may be uncomfortable, may even be downright painful that we know that the end result is glory I pray Father and speak to broken families right now in the name of Jesus Lord I see you pouring golden green oil Father down the cracks of the word family and pulling it back together I declare it to be so right now in the name of Jesus 
I call husbands back to wives and wives back to husbands. I call children back to fathers and, uh, and children back to mothers and, and fathers and mothers back to children. I, in the name of Jesus, I declare it to be so. The sound of my voice, Lord, I break off not just addiction, but the thing that causes people to be addicted. The thing they're trying to bury with addiction, Father. I pray, Father, that you heal them and I declare healing and health to come upon, upon their lives. Help us to be a place, Father, where we don't just do church on Sundays, Father, but we're a family all the way through the week. I pray that as we gather together next week and break bread together, I pray you put it on the heart of everybody that hears me, Lord, to be here, to participate, to bring whatever they can bring, Lord, whether it's a loaf of bread or KFC chicken or, or chili venison, that we would all come and sit down to break bread together, Lord, and be family and do this life together. Lord, those that are supposed to be here and feel disconnected. I pray, Father, that you reconnect them, that you cause there to be opportunity for them to feel welcomed again, welcomed back. Lord, because the mother of the house asked, Lord, right now, for everything that's ever happened upon this property, from the time that it was, it became a property, Father, even before the church until now, Father, I declare this property sanctified, I give it to you, Father. Anything that's happened here, Lord, that is of the kingdom of darkness, Lord, anything that's happened here that is ungodly, that's not from you, Father, we turn from that and turn wholeheartedly towards you. We ask your forgiveness, Lord, for anything that's happened here, Lord, uh, for any sin, Father, for anything that's committed here, Lord, that's been done, not just the true vine, but I'm talking all the places that were here before, Lord. We, we ask your forgiveness. We turn from that, repent from that, Father, and pray that your glory would be manifested here. Any blockage, Father, any window, any stronghold that the enemy thinks he has here, Lord, it's canceled now by the sound of my voice. I say it again, standing on my feet, it's canceled now in the name of Jesus. And let your glory shine so forth from this place, Lord, that it attracts people, that it attracts treasure, Father, so that we can do the work of the kingdom. I pray, Father, that men and women in this church would step up without, without having to be begged or asked. They would walk into their priestly authority, Father, I pray, Father, that in the, in the coming days and weeks you would release me for a period of time. Not to not be here at all, Father, but I need to go to Africa. And I need to go to India, Lord. I can't do that until people that are called here stand up and walk into their place. Thank you that I know that I'm talking to mature sons and daughters. And, Father, as you send me and those that will go with me, Father, I pray, Father, that you bring up fresh boldness, Lord, fresh glory, Lord, upon these places that we go, that we would be your hands and feet. We would heal up, bind up the brokenhearted and heal blind eyes and help them to see and hear and taste the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I thank you for your presence. We don't take it for granted. Lord, if there's one here today that has never said, I want to surrender my life to Christ, right now is the moment. I pray, Father, that they, with their head bowed, would say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And pray that you not just be my Savior, but be my Lord and direct me. And I ask for your Holy Spirit to come into my life and partner with me. And tell me the things that I should do, the things that I shouldn't do. And help me and form me and make me and become who I already am. Father, I pray for the ministers of this area. For those that are hiding in caves like we are, Father. That they would be strengthened. That you would give us opportunity to reach out and say, be strengthened the Lord that they would know they're not alone. 
I speak to the religious hierarchy of this place that your time in Statesville of ruling and reigning is long, long over. I pray the crumbling of their kingdoms in the name of Jesus. I declare the crumblings of their kingdoms in the name of Jesus. I declare the ugly words, Father, that they speak and the words of, of solicitation, Father, the words of manipulation, Lord, that they would begin to fall on deaf ears, that people would be so hungry for truth that they refuse to listen to those manipulating, no matter how well-dressed it might be. That your children be fed with your bread and your wine, Father. I speak against religious social clubs that people think is church and want to go there just because they get to be a good old boy at that place. I speak against it in the name of Jesus that that spirit be crushed and destroyed. Enough in Statesville. Enough, I say, enough. You've had your way long enough. We're not standing for that anymore. We're not going anywhere. We're going to continue to grow. And we're going to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the righteous. You can take your social club and your manipulation somewhere else. It won't stand in Statesville any longer. As long as there's breath in this body, I'll stand against it. Thank you, Father, for freedom in your people. Those that are supposed to be here and aren't, Father, I speak to them right now. Do you come back home where you're supposed to be? Lord, with the sword of my tongue, I cut off the, I cut off the head of those serpents that are lying to those people, that have manipulated them. Let them hear your voice calling for them to come. us, Father, as they come back, to be welcoming with open arms as the prodigal father was to the prodigal son. In Jesus' name.